Isaiah chapter 40. Do you not know, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youth grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired and walk and not become weary. You sang that song today. I appreciate Alex doing that as he kind of centers around the Word of God. And I was just thinking, you know, I continue to remind you that uh, the Word of God is the thing. It's what we focus on. It's what we teach. It is the source of our strength. It is our uh, uh, guide for our conduct. It is the thing. And as I was reading Isaiah 40, as uh, Alex drew my attention to it, I remembered a passage there at the beginning, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. It says, a voice calls out. A voice says, call out, and then Isaiah says, what shall I call out? And uh, he says, uh, the voice says, all flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. That's good to know, right? All flesh is grass, and its loveliness like the flower of the field. I don't know about your grass, but mine's just beginning to turn green. Flowers are starting to poke their heads up. Transitory, though, right? Because uh, six months from now, it'll all be back brown again. The grass withers and the flower fades When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass, and the grass withers, the flower fades. But, what's the rest of it? The word of our God stands forever. So it's not about individuals, it's not about me, it's not about you. It's about what the word of God says, one generation proclaiming his goodness to the next, until we all get to be with him. And so, that being said, let's turn in your copy of God's word, if you would. Revelation chapter 9, back up into into, uh, 8 verse 13, that's really where we'll start just to kind of uh, catch up on where we are uh, in the passage for those who weren't with us last time. I want to multiply our opportunity for blessing because if we read, hear, and do what these words say, we have that opportunity, so let's do that. Last time we were together, uh, we uh, had seven trumpets ready to sound. And a series of judgments on the earth that are directly related, as we have been able to see, uh, to the ceremony that's going on in heaven and the turning over of the title deed of the earth to its rightful owner. The rightful owner and ruler is going to take charge. And we saw four judgments, judgment on plant life, a judgment on the seas, a judgment on the flowing water, and judgment on the heavens. In Revelation chapter 8, verse 13, you can look there if you would with me, as John relays to us the things he's able to see, as he's been brought uh, forward in time, if you will, to see all that will take place and soon take place, according to this book. Verse 13 says, then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven. We looked at that. Uh, It is uh, used of a bird. This is uh, speaking to people. Uh, at the zenith of the sky where everyone can see and hear, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. And we can identify with that angel. Uh, The world uh, is being broken. At the end of this time period we're studying, it will be, if you will, a wasted shell of what it is now. And at this point in the trumpet, Uh, Judgments, major devastation to plant life. 
uh, devastation to the sea. One-third of the creatures uh, with breath have died. A third of the ships have been destroyed. Uh, we've seen a third of the flowing water. Fresh water sources have become undrinkable. A third of the day is without light, also a third of the night. And then the angel comes along and says, I am sorry for those who dwell on the earth because the three remaining trumpets will usher in such judgment so that the others at this point do not compare. And we got just a little bit of taste of that last time. Let's look now at chapter 9, verse 1. And this is the fifth trumpet judgment we saw was locusts from the pit. Locusts from the pit. Verse 1, chapter 9. The fifth angel sounded. And I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And we saw that this is likely a fallen demon, perhaps uh, Lucifer himself. Let's keep reading. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And we looked at that last time. This bottomless pit, Peter calls a place called Tartarus, which is a deep pit. He borrows a, a Greek word from Greek mythology to describe this place. But we understand this place to be referred to as, as Jesus interacts with demons during his time on earth, uh, they wonder if they're going to send, if Jesus is going to send them to the abyss. And uh, we see this constantly being talked about. It appears that these are, this is the place where demons who have not kept their proper place uh, have to go to be bound. And they did when Jesus was on earth. They did earlier, as we saw in Genesis 6, because Peter and Jude uh, all refer back to Genesis 6, where there were demons who inhabited the bodies of men and cohabitated with women. And we see this happen before the flood, great wickedness on the face of the earth. And so, not to go into that all again, but there are demons bound there. They are very wicked. They have been bound there for many, many thousands of years, some of them. And they cannot get out. And they're bound there by God. And they're waiting for final judgment. And they are in hell, Hades being tormented, until the time when final judgment will occur. And this key... Uh, to the bottomless pit is going to get into the hands of Lucifer or demon during this fifth trumpet judgment. And he is going to go down and unlock the bottomless pit. Now look at verse 2. He opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. Now, let's pause right there for a minute. I was just giving the Lord thanks, although not for the misery of all of Europe, uh, but as we were going through the seal judgments, he gave us a series of earthquakes to kind of illustrate our time uh, together. And now we're going through these trumpet judgments, and we have a huge volcano spewing ash across most of the world. And uh, I was reading on the news just tonight as I was waiting in my office after I'd studied my notes, and a uh, billion dollars up in three days. That's what the airlines are saying, a billion dollars lost in revenue in three days' worth. Uh, the ash. But if you've looked at pictures on the news, which I'm sure you have, you've noticed the smoke billowing up, blocking out the sun. And this is very similar to what we see described for us here. Although it doesn't say that it's a volcano, it just says smoke went up out of the pit. And so it's open somehow down to this place, this deep pit, this uh, abyss, because he's uh, given the keys to it and smoke comes up out of the pit. Verse 3, then out of the smoke came locusts on the earth. Now, all these bound demons we saw last time, some of them bound down there for centuries and centuries and some for thousands of years, are finally going to get out and they are going to flood out of there and they're going to gush like a big, a huge plague sweeping the earth. And the tribulation is going to be a terrible time, we saw last time, uh, for a number of reasons. But because the, uh, this messenger st uh, was at the apex of the sky and said, whoa, we understand it's going to be especially bad because we're going to move away from the things that men were terrified about before, which are earthquakes and, and, uh, and natural disasters and asteroids hitting the earth. And I showed you all uh, a number of those uh, uh, 
articles that we see in the paper that come up from time to time and people are concerned about these things. And we're going to move into this, uh, we're going to move in the spirit world. And we're going to be able, those who are on earth are going to see some of the things that they have not seen before, but they've always been real and have always been true. And these demons are going to come out of there and they're going to flood over the earth. And that's why it's going to be a terrible time. All the bound demons of hell are going to be turned loose to add to the ones who are already here. And so a terrible time running all over the earth. Now, I'd like you to turn to Joel chapter 2 because I want to kind of describe this uh, really in terms where people uh, of the Old Testament understood because that's really what he's referring to. Locust plagues are not something we're familiar with. In fact, there may be a few of you, uh, if you have some farming background and you were in the uh, Midwest uh, maybe 50, 60 years ago, perhaps you experienced some of that. We've not experienced it on the scale that the Middle East has experienced it. And, uh, but I think I, I want to give some, a little bit of uh, reference point to us. Let the Bible explain the Bible. Go to Joel chapter 2. If you hit Psalms and you go 10 books to the right, if you're in Matthew, 11 books to the left, all right? And that will help you land right there where they are between Hosea and Amos. Joel 2 verse 1. And Joel is describing a locust invasion, uh, but the terms he uses are much more terrifying. And as we compare them to what we see in the book of Revelation, it's easy to see some startling similarities. But here Joel is talking about a judgment. Now, men understood at that time that locust uh, judgment had to do with the hand of God being heavy on Israel. And he told them he would do that if they didn't obey, and the locusts would swarm over and eat everything and destroy, really, their livelihood and leave a time of starving behind them. And so a serious uh, invasion of locusts was a serious thing, and this is what he's speaking of, but we can still see some of the uh, illustrations that will apply to what we're going to talk about, which are not regular locusts in Revelation. Look at verse 1 of Joel 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Why? For the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. That would be a contemporary day of the Lord. Uh, Day of the Lord that would have been for judgment on Israel at that time. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it nor will there be again after it to the years of many generations. Verse 3, what's going to happen? A fire. He's going to use illustrations and metaphors to describe for us this invasion of locusts on the land. A fire consumes before them and behind them a flame burns. So the idea then, if you've looked at it, if you've seen a wildfire, I grew up out in the southwest. That's very familiar to me. Uh, fire consuming before and behind, a flash fire moving very quickly, and the fire continuing to consume after the fast fire moves through everything else that's still standing. And that's what he's saying, really. A fire consumes before and behind, kind of flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Verse 4, their appearance is like the appearance of horses. And you're going to see this uh, illustration again. A simile here down later. And like a war horse, they run. With a noise as of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for battle. So all these things to illustrate what a true locust invasion would look like. Okay, so we have some illustrations here to help us. Now look back at verse 3 of Revelation chapter 9. And let's see some of the illustrations John uses as he describes these demons that he sees pouring out of the ground and out of the pit. Back at verse 2, he opened the bottomless pit, smoke went up like, out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened uh, by the smoke of the pit, then out of the smoke came locust upon the earth. 
and power was given them. So remember, and that's an important clue. These are not things going wild and God is not in control. Okay? All these things happen as they, as they happen on the earth, step by step, as the Lord unfolds his wrath on the earth. These are allowed by the Lord. Power is given. Remember, demons don't have any uh, unto themselves their own power. Uh, no spirit beings do. Why? Because God is sovereign over all, and he created all, right? And so even demons, who we would consider perhaps reckless and able to do what they want, really you can think of them as spirits with lines drawn around them. They don't get to do whatever they want. They can only do whatever the Lord allows them to do and no more. And that's the same with these. Power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were, verse 4, told, once again, you see this control over them, told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree. So first of all, we see as scorpions of the earth have power, they have power. And we understand scorpions. I grew up with them in the southwest. The smaller ones, the worse they are. You might think the bigger ones is worse, but really, as uh, we grew up, we understood the smaller ones are much worse and are much harder to see. But scorpions have a singer on the tail. They inflict a painful uh, bite. They're usually not dangerous to those who are adults and in good health. They can be very dangerous to seniors and the young ones. But here, they've given uh, power like scorpions. So obviously, they have some ability to sting and inflict harm and pain. But they're told not to hurt the earth, grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree. Now, normal, normal locusts, that would be their fodder, okay? So we're clear about the fact that this is not a normal locust. Uh, this, these are demons, and that's what they've already been, we've already seen that that's what they are. Uh, John says that's exactly what comes up out of the pit, but they just appear as locusts, uh, perhaps in the, new, the numbers, and then, of course, we're going to see again in their description. But only the men, so it says, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, let's comment on that for a minute, that like or as appears 11 times here in this narrative. So he is describing uh, by simile and allowing people to understand uh, what these things look like by describing uh, other things for us. These locusts have power like scorpions. You can see that in your notes. They're given a job to do. And they're told what to do, so they're spirits with lines drawn around them. They can't do whatever they want. They can only do what the Lord tells them to do. And I think, I think it's safe to say, and you can add this to your notes and your thought process, that there's some protecting still going on. It says that only the men who do, who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, we saw in chapter 7 that the 144,000 have the seal of God on their forehead. Now, there are many who say, well, this only applies to the 144,000, those who uh, have the seal of God on their foreheads would be those folks, and they're the only ones who get protected from the demon horde. But there is certainly biblical uh, evidence and certainly some precedents to say it's likely that the 144,000 are protected and every other believer on earth are protected as well. The Bible certainly gives us plenty of um, information about that. Certainly we have some background there. Uh, but um, in Revelation 14.1, the same 144,000 we're going to see appear on Zion with the, uh, with the Father's name on their foreheads. And at the close of this section, the 12th through the 14th chapters, and, and, uh, and concern uh, them and those who are saved uh, and those who wage war against them. And so you see them kind of lumped in together. Uh, the children, their offspring, the 144,000 offspring, which would be the saved on the earth. And we're going to see that in a minute. But I'm just referring to that because I think that it's safe to say that these who come to faith under the teaching of the 144,000 are sealed or safe from this demon horde. Uh, now, they're not protected from trial. Uh, Revelation 7.14 certainly told us that. In fact, it said exactly that they would have trial, and many go into uh, God's presence from that trial. But their trials are distinct from the destroying judgments that fall on the earth. And remember, we say this a lot, but the, the Lord always deals with the wicked differently 
Then he deals with the righteous. As we think about demons, some would say, well, I mean, think about Job, right? Job was attacked by a demon, right? Or by Satan himself, rather. And Job was uh, persecuted severely, right, by a demon. But the demon, or, or by Satan. And Satan was not allowed, though, to take his what? Remember? Not allowed to take his life, right? He was only allowed to torment Job to prove a heavenly point. And so there certainly is the exception that you can say, well, you know, uh, demons are allowed to act on those who are believers. But I would say in general, there's enough biblical evidence that would kind of support the fact that those who come to faith under the 144,000 are probably going to be uh, protected. Israel was protected from the plagues of Egypt, especially from the last one, uh, having their doors, the protecting seal of the blood mark. So uh, we see that there's these destroying judgments that are going to fall on the world. I think it's likely that those who come to faith are going to be protected too. And uh, these demons are going to come out. They're not going to be able to do anything to creation. They're just going to wipe out men. And if you think about it, not even the men they'd like to wipe out, which would be believers, although Satan, of course, wishes to wipe out all men. John 10, 9, he comes to steal and kill and what? Destroy, right? But Jesus said, I've come life. I've come that they might have life and abundantly. But he especially wants to kill believers and destroy believers, but here he can't. But the extreme conditions on earth, of course, will result in the death of the saints. The Antichrist will seek them out and destroy them. But the destroying judgments, uh, like the flood of the past, that we understand where Noah was delivered and the plagues of Egypt and the siege of Babylon, which I indicated a couple of weeks ago, uh, which kind of give precedence for the protection. I think God is going to protect from the destroying judgments that uh, those that are his. So um, it says here, verse 5, they um, are given permission uh, to hurt them, but they can't kill them. Uh, in verse 5, look at there if you would. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. So extreme pain, uh, great swelling, and uh, just feeling badly all over, a terrible uh, sickness and result of that. Now listen to this, verse 6. It's going to be so bad, okay, just so that you don't underestimate how terrible the plague will be on people. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. So they're going to be so miserable that they're going to want to die. Now, just tongue-in-cheek, uh, I've not been sick that much in my life, but from time to time, I do get a stomach flu. Have you ever had it? And uh, at first, you think you're going to die, and then you're afraid you won't, right, if it's bad enough, right? But here, in all seriousness, they are going to want to die because of the severity of uh, this uh, punishment on them. And they'll seek death and not find it. And then just to confirm what he's talking about, they will long to die. And death, it says, flees from them. So for a short period of time, this five months following this trumpet blast, people are not going to be able to end their lives. I think there will be a lot of that going on. But during this time, they will not. The Lord is going to make them suffer through this plague. So this locust plague of demons is going to cross the globe, torturing men for five months. Men will be unable to find relief even in death. Death will flee from them, and it will be so bad that they'll want to die, but they find that they cannot. Now, we have a description of these demonic beings, verses 7 through 10, very terrifying indeed, and I'm glad you and I will not experience them from Earth's perspective. Look at verse 7, if you would. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. Now, we saw that. Uh, we saw that as we looked at the, uh, the book of Joel. We saw that described that way. Uh, and horses with armor. And we saw that uh, they are there. Now, horses were not used for agriculture in the Middle East. And so don't be thinking horses for agriculture, thinking horses for battle. Horses struck terror in the hearts of foot soldiers. Uh, armies that had large numbers of horses and chariots 
were usually ran roughshod over these uh, over those who were just infantry. Uh, it's why Israel was prohibited and Solomon was prohibited, although they did it anyway, from amassing horses and chariots to themselves for they felt at that point they'd be invincible. So when you think about horses, you're thinking about a terrifying type of plague in people's minds in comparison to being on the ground. So a horse prepared for battle, so they would have breastplates and all types of stuff to protect them, and they'd be invulnerable to attack. And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold. And remember, John is describing them for us, what appears from his eyesight as he sees them. Uh, this is what they look like. And their faces were like the faces of men. And you can just think, whenever they say that, as, they say, as we said when we looked at the four living creatures, remember that if you have the face of man, you're thinking about intelligence. So we're not just talking about a locust that comes out, it doesn't look like it knows what it's doing, just kind of flying around randomly. But you have a face of a man in the, in the respect that it has intelligence. It knows exactly what it's about. It understands what's going on. And that would make sense as these are demons coming out of the pit, and they certainly are very wise. They've been around since the creation. They've followed men all the way since the creation, and uh, they understand what men are like. Now look at verse 8. They had hair like the hair of women, so long hair there, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions, so terrifying. And they had breastplates, is what we saw before. They're ready for battle, all right, designed to protect their vital organs, breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of a chariot. So I'm sure many will think, well, I'll be able to kill them. I'll whip out the shotgun or whatever, and I'm going to take them out. But the problem will be is they are, uh, of course, uh, supernatural. So these are demons that have endured uh, being trapped in the pit for some of them thousands of years. So they're not going to be able to be destroyed by any men. And so many horses rushing to battle is the sound. Verse 10, they have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. And so I think you get the picture. That's a snapshot of, a, of uh, this one and the next one, something out of a nightmare. But this is why the tribulation is going to be so terrible for people who have to endure it going to move from the things we normally would be afraid of to the things that are, are the stuff of nightmares, and those will become reality for people on the earth. Now look at verse 11. They have as a king over them the angel of the abyss. So there's someone there who's in charge, and his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. The demons have a commander, and his name in both Hebrew destruction and Greek destroyer. All right, so you can put those in your notes, destruction or destroyer. Now, it shouldn't surprise you that there's a commander. If you think about how, and we haven't talked about this, but spirit beings, particularly fallen angels, all angels have a chain of command. It would not surprise us then to find out that there are chains of command with angels, angels having different ranks. In fact, Ephesians calls them rulers and powers. Colossians 1.15 calls them thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. 1 Peter chapter 3, speaking of fallen angels, says angels, authorities, and powers uh, Satan's followers are highly organized. And if you just kind of imagine a rebellion led by Satan and one-third of the angels coming away to follow him, just imagine the coups that you've read about over the, over the period of history. When the army defects and starts to uh, fight against the, the ruler that's there or comes apart and is led by someone, they get uh, people, people who fight in that army from all different parts of the ranks, right? You get some who are commanders and some who are foot soldiers and everything in between. And that's what we have with angels as well. And the Bible kind of explains that to us over and over and says that the Lord is Lord over all those things. But certainly we see uh, that there, are a chain, there is a chain of command. And here particularly, the demons have a commander and he is named. So this angel is in charge of the demons who were bound in the bottomless pit. Uh, you can call that Tataris as Peter does. Verse 12. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes still coming after these things. 
And if you think that was bad, wait till the next one. And it's probably at least a five-month wait. So if you kind of just get the idea logically, realize the, uh, uh, this uh, judgment has fallen on men. It's going to take about five uh, months for them to recover uh, from the last one when the last one is stung. And these demons then go, uh, I would assume, back to the pit or allowed to continue to roam. But they're no longer doing this. It's going to happen for five months. And during that period of time, the sixth trumpet blows. So after you get done with these people, perhaps recovering, and the Euphrates River is opened up, so to speak, and we have our next trumpet judgment. That sixth trumpet is the demon Calvary. Demon Calvary. Look at verse 13. The demon Calvary. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. As I read through that, and every time I do, I'm always amazed, how long have they been there? Bound there at the Euphrates River. How many kingdoms have they seen? How many rises and falls of men? Still bound there. They've been bound for this particular time. Now, these are obviously demons because holy angels are never referred to in Scripture as being bound. But here it says, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels, it says, who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. So they've counted down all the years the earth has been made, perhaps right from the flood on or perhaps from creation shortly after the fall on. Here they are and they're bound and they've counted down all the days and the hours and the months and all of that. Here they are ready, and their one job is to kill, it says, one-third of mankind. Here comes a host uh, released by four angels who are going to slaughter a third of the world. Look at verse 16. And if you just think about the sheer volume of people that could be talking about, close perhaps to two billion people will be killed. A terrible time on the face of the earth. Look at verse 16. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. So these four angels are given command of a demon cavalry of 200 million. And obviously someone in heaven uh, knows the number of the demon cavalry. It is mentioned over the altar, and the number is 200 million. And they come from the Euphrates, and they are demonic beings. Now, we have their descriptions in verse 17 through 19, and we'll finish up with that because we're out of time. Verse 17, and this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of hyacinth, which is, uh, that can be any number of colors. It can be mostly purple, but certainly red. And of brimstone, that's sulfur. So anytime you see that, think yellow, orangish yellow. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouth proceeds fire and smoke and brimstone. And a third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone. That's a sulfur-like material, which proceeds out of their mouth. Verse 19, for the power of the horses is in their mouths, which is like a lion, and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. And they certainly do, because it says they kill a third of the world, and they do that by fire and by smoke and by sulfur, which comes out of their mouth. They do harm with their tails, it says, which uh, serpents' heads with a short body, and uh, it's something out of a nightmare 
And I think we still have this protection going on once again, for these are demonic, supernatural creatures, and this protection keeps demons from injuring and killing believers. Now look, and you have a little bit more support for that here in verse 20. It says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. So who are we speaking of? If the rest of mankind who did not repent of the works of their hands, and we're still speaking of unbelievers on whom this plague is being uh, brought out on. So the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver. Now, worshiping demons, we understand, uh, perhaps in the United States, we don't uh, find a demon or something to worship, but if we understand the book of Psalms and all through the Old Testament, uh, the Bible is pretty clear that when you worship anything besides the Lord, particularly those inanimate objects that people worshiped all through the history of mankind, you're really worshiping demons. And when you sacrifice to these inanimate objects, you're sacrificing to demons. And I told you before that I think the Lord just allows the demons to do just enough with the inanimate object to keep people coming back and worshiping that which is not truly a God. So he says they wouldn't repent of uh, worship of demons, so worshiping anything besides the true God and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see or hear or walk. Verse 21 and they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, and that's the word pharmakeia, that's the word for drug use, nor their immorality, nor their thefts. They would not repent. Men didn't repent, it says. They just cursed God. And things don't really change a whole lot, do they? And I was just thinking as we kind of sum up our thoughts, you know, some men won't repent of their sin in an age of grace when God is long-suffering, right? When God is wooing his people, desires to have fellowship with them, and is giving them every benefit of uh, protection and life and blessing, and they'll respond by saying they don't know if God exists, or, you know, I don't want to give up my life right now, maybe later, or I'd like to see some kind of sign, I want God to prove he's there, or whatever, and then I'll believe, or, you know, too many hypocrites in the church, I've seen too much stuff go on, I'm not interested, whatever, that kind of thing. People won't believe when it's grace going on, and we see some men won't repent of their sin when God is bringing judgment. And you can imagine their comments. Well, why did I deserve this, right? And, uh, you know, why is God so vindictive? And this is not a God of love I've ever heard about, right? And those types of comments, you can imagine, would come. So people don't really change a whole lot. They don't repent uh, because they don't want to, because we are a, a stiff-necked and hard-hearted uh, people, aren't we? We desire to do our own thing, and we don't want to submit to any God. It's always a matter of a rebellious heart, isn't it? And those are pretty formidable trumpets, are they not? And you've noticed that the church is not mentioned at this time. That word church is not there. And chapter 10 is another one of those little respites for John. Very difficult thing for him to see, I would imagine, these two judgments uh, back to back here on top of the four he's already looked at. And so John's going to get a break. And it's a break between, we saw the break between the sixth uh, seal and the seventh. We're going to see a break between the sixth trumpet and the seventh. And he's going to give John another little vision of the good part. All right, and we're going to see that next time and then we're going to see my two favorite people in all the bible in chapter 11 the two witnesses and uh, i love how they're described perhaps you are familiar with them that anybody opposes them breath just comes out of their mouth and consumes them and i think that's pretty cool uh i mean i'm not i'm not glad for the person who's incinerated but i, I just kind of like to see some power right aren't you glad that the lord cannot that he uh, can handle those who oppose him he's not worried and he's going to use two people, and they're going to be able to do all kinds of marvelous things. And many, many, many will come to faith as a result of them. And so awesome stuff still to look at, but we'll close for tonight because we're out of time. Would you bow with me in prayer?